Thank you. 
this, uh, the piece. Uh, the main question is, I think, for this session is, is, is the, the piece close? Uh, you know, how distant are the, the, the piece? And without distinction uh, of our but from the so, 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 which is always yes and yes.
Thank you. 
To, to be with you today, um, Mr. Ambassador, it's, uh, it's always an honor to, to be seated to your left, to your right. Thank you for your your remarks, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's it's great to see some familiar faces, um, and uh, I have to say uh, from the outset, um, talking about Yemen um, is something um, neither I nor my diplomatic spouse ever thought I would be doing. Um, I have to begin with a confession, if you'll indulge me. Um, before we were married, my wife and I came back uh, from Latin America. She had been in Colombia, I'd been in Peru, and uh, she, we were, we were trying to get different jobs, and she ended up as a Yemen desk officer, and I ended up as a Lebanon desk officer. And most evenings, this is before we had children, before we had a dog, before we had friends, we would, we, we would debate which country was actually more important from a U.S. point of view, uh, Lebanon or Yemen. Um, and of course, I, I <coughs> argued that the Levant, being the center of the universe, uh, deserved more attention because of the, the immediate challenges it posed to U.S. interests. And my wife's argument was, you listen to me. If Yemen implodes, if Yemen goes down, the whole region goes down. I think you're exaggerating. So, years later, after two years of working on this account, I'm glad my wife's not in the office or in the audience because she would hear me utter the words that no husband ever wants his wife to hear. You were right, honey. <laughs> Biggest challenges. Um, and I can say that as somebody who's worked hard on 
priorities are, what the grievances are. It's taken two years just to get to a, I would say, a 100 uh, understanding of who's doing who, who's doing what to whom. Um, the humanitarian crisis alone, um, I think, demands the globe's attention. Millions at risk of, of food insecurity, diseases. Um, the statistics and the numbers are 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 hard to are hard to connect. We have to remember, as the ambassador pointed out, these are these are these are men and women who've lost their spouses. These are children who've lost their parents. These are wandering orphans with nowhere to go, nothing to eat. Um, and I and I say that not to 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 glorify the problem or to, to try and make it sound worse than it is, but we spend so much of our time talking facts and figures in Washington. We sometimes forget how human this 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 crisis is. Um, I will take a uh, I will take a pause and come back to the to the question that you've brought us here to answer or at least address. Um, and note that you know as bad as things are now, we've had two glimmers of hope in the last 12 months or so that give us a little um, reason, um, carefully caveated, and uh, to believe that progress is possible. A year ago, um, we were worried, deeply worried, about military escalation in Hudeida, fighting intensified through most of the country. We were worried about the humanitarian crisis getting far worse than it already was. Um, we were dealing with uh, ballistic missile attacks on Saudi Arabia, on the UAE. We were dealing with uh, charges of, of, of um, being casualties by coalition um, bomb, bomb, bombing raids. And in the 12 months that have passed since those days, we still have a lot of problems. But we've gone through, I think, um, a set of developments that the ambassador referenced um, that maybe will, will provide us with the momentum to take it a step further. Um, the appointment of the, the new then new uh, UN uh, Special Envoy for, for Yemen, Martin Griffiths, uh, didn't start off with a, with a big bang. In fact, his efforts to organize a meeting of the two parties in Geneva um, fell short when the Houthis at the last minute pulled out. They had, the, they had, they had a meeting, but there was no negotiation. Um, we urge Martin to keep up his efforts, and we continue to support him, as we do now. Um, and he, he, <coughs> he persevered and worked what I can only describe as one of the most creative drug deals in diplomatic history to persuade the Houthis to attend a similar meeting um, um, in Sweden. His mechanism for doing so was to get our agreement, the Saudis' agreement, the Emiratis' agreement, the Yemeni government's agreement to fly, fly uh, some Houthis who were in need of medical care. 
care to another country so that they could receive the medical care they needed. And indeed, after weeks of trying and, and our own involvement in trying to pursue this deal, um, shockingly, it worked. And the, the delegations appeared in, in Sweden in the middle of the winter, in the middle of the dark where there's no sunlight. And these, these conditions actually were fruitful because it was too cold to go outside and ignore one another. Um, and under Martin's guidance, these, the, the two sides were able to exchange messages and pick up where they had left off on, on many of the, the, the outstanding details um, that the ambassador outlined in years and years of previous negotiations. Now, this was new ground by, in any sense of the, of the, of the word, but um, it did involve members and support from other countries, from the Saudis, from the Emiratis, from the Omanis, from the United States, from the Brits. Um, and that effort um, resulted in what we call confidence-building measures, uh, a deal that would allow the parties to build a little trust before they took on even bigger challenges. So we are probably in the third quarter of, of, of the efforts not only to see these agreements move forward, but to see them implemented. Um, and right now, as of, as of last week, um, we had an agreement by both sides um, to carry out the, the redeployment of military forces, uh, both from the Houthi side and from the Yemeni government side, uh, in Hudaydah. Now, this is, this is an important gesture uh, in its own right because Hudaydah is the biggest port. Um, it is uh, key to all of our uh, humanitarian operations. Um, it's also very very symbolic in the sense that this is this is this has been a, a very contested area for a long time. And the deal was the the Houthis would agree to a phase one withdrawal from from the three ports in the area, including Hudaydah, and that would then, once it was completed, trigger a uh, a response by the Yemeni forces to follow suit and pull pull uh, southward uh, from the Kilo Road that runs in and out of Hudaydah City. Um, when Martin was last in the region meeting with parties, that deal fell apart. Um, I don't want to confirm or, or deny the ambassador's supposition that this may have had to do with congressional legislation, but I don't rule it out. I think it may have been a factor. But there we are. And the question is, how do we get to the next step? And is this, is this, is this uh, going to be where our efforts uh, finally bottom out and send us back to the drawing table? Or um, is Martin going to be able to deliver on the agreement the party signed? And I, I give it about a 50-50 chance, um, in part just because I'm an optimist. In part, I think it's it's vital. Um, we're at a critical time in the region. Our our, our allies and, and and the United.
United States face uh, critical threats. We're, we're dealing with Iranian um, uh, activities throughout the area. We can start in we can start in Iraq. We can go to Syria. We can look at Lebanon, and then we can look at Yemen, where they are very active. Um, and these are very destabilizing activities. Um, and so I think I think building building this trust is an essential step get us moving forward again. We need that momentum because the next step of, of issues that are on the docket are far more complex um, and, and just, as, just as difficult to solve as, as the ones that we're dealing with now. Um, I would say that what makes Yemen so difficult to deal with as, 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 as a country like the United States in our efforts to pursue resolution of the conflict is, is that we have a very, I would say, mediocre understanding of what's really at stake. This is a civil war not just in the, in the, in the, in the battle term sense. This is a civil war in the political sense. We have two vying part parties are laying claim to the country's sovereignty. Now, for the United States, this is not a contested issue. And for our allies, this is not a contested issue. But for the people of Yemen, this is something that affects their lives in every day. Um, and so, with that, we need to go as, as, as aggressively as we can to make sure that these initial steps are taken so that we can go and address the issues the ambassador raised in Tice, where there was an, a deal to replicate this de-escalation, um, redeployment um, that was supposed to occur, occur in, in Hudeda. Um, we need to move forward with a deal on a prisoner exchange, which parties have agreed to, um, to establish a precedent that I think would testify to the both sides' credibility in making the commitment and following through with it. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a bigger horizon. There's a, as, as the ambassador made clear, there is, there's years and years of negotiation history that, that has, has its goal the rebuilding of the country in a political, legal, social, and economic uh, sense. So that's what's on the line, and that's what we're working on. And so I'll thank you, uh, thank you again for your attention. I, I hope I have your 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 um, your promise not to tell my wife that I said she was right, but she really was. And and with that, I will withdraw. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.
traveling to and getting to know uh, Arab culture and Arab history. I think there really is no better uh, in the Middle East for young students that want to learn uh, about their country. I found that to be true. I still have many friends from all parts of the country that I stay in touch with. And um, there's a warmth there. People that's famous, and, and I certainly um, appreciate that uh, about uh, my experience in the country back in the 1990s. I did say that I would uh, speak on the issue, the current issue, again, from an academic perspective, um, bringing some understanding of the issue uh, from my field of political science as well as uh, from the field of, of history. Primarily in the past, I have written about Yemen's internal politics. Certainly the 2012 book that I wrote dealt with these issues, but as John mentioned, I have a book, it's actually an edited collection of chapters. We have about 15 different Yemen scholars from around the world who are contributing chapters to the book to try to develop uh, a more in-depth and a broad analysis of what's been happening over the last um, uh, three or four years, in particular what happened towards the end of 2014 and early 2015 when the country's internal politics uh, collapsed into uh, an international war. Um, Albert McMillan is, uh, is going to be the publisher of the book and we expect it to be out um, by the end of the year. We may even uh, try to hold some sort of conference here in Washington, D.C., where we bring some of the people that contributed chapters to the book to speak about uh, their research. The last time that I visited uh, Yemen uh, was in 2013. I was lucky uh, to be able to go to Yemen and see part of the national dialogue at the time, um, speak particularly to connect the issues that I dealt with in the book about Yemen's local and regional issues in the framework of national unity within the country and, and the reason why that was such an important issue at the time of the national dialogue. When um, in the many workshops and in the concluding sessions, this question of a six-region federal state uh, was put forward, and obviously that issue became highly controversial at the time uh, that the um, government collapsed and the country uh, went to war in 2015. I want to say that I'm not going to talk about these local issues as much. I thought, and I, I said to John and the National Council that I would address more the international issues, since that's the topic of the book that we um, are aiming to publish by the end of the year. But I do see a connection between the two. Uh, look, I still think, and I agree with the ambassador, that one of the uh, real tragedies in Yemen is that that moment at the end of the National Dialogue Conference was not fulfilled in that opportunity. I very much agree with this idea of a six-region federal state in the country being constructive way forward. Obviously, anyone uh, that's looked at that issue and how Yemenis inside the country 
talk about it, knew that it was problematic, that there had always been tensions uh, around discussions of this topic. So it wasn't a surprise to me that it was controversial and that it was um, one of the causes um, behind uh, the political collapse in 2015 and the start of the war. But nonetheless, I still see that that plan, at least at the National Dialogue Conference, and the idea of some sort of six-region federal state has a place in the negotiations, the international negotiations, to move the country forward. In fact, uh, over the last few months, I've been saying to people that one of the reasons why I think it's been difficult to push forward the small steps on the ground in Yemen in the negotiations, as is the approach of uh, Martin Griffiths, who the UN Special Envoy, is that the parties don't yet have an agreement of what is the end game, what is the end result. And you often see in negotiations that it's difficult to take those small steps until you have a clearer picture of what is the likely outcome um, at the end of the conflict. And what I'm going to say is, at the end of my remarks, is how I think you, you can successfully do that by Again, raising this issue of, of federalism uh, within Yemen, um, I want to say uh, that as an American researcher on this topic, and somebody who was in touch with many of the Yemenis that were on the working groups in the National Dialogue Conference, and um, in fact, I was in touch with some of the people that were working on drafting the Constitution that I may have been one of maybe a handful, if not the only individual in America who knew uh, the seriousness of the issue when uh, His Excellency, the Ambassador, was kidnapped. And I don't know if many Americans were aware of that, but I was certainly following the fence. And I, I have said to uh, His Excellency that I was concerned for his well-being at the moment. I knew what that meant, that the outcomes of the National Dialogue Conference, in particular that draft constitution that had been put forward, was hanging in the balance that moment uh, when he uh, was kidnapped uh, in the country. From an academic perspective, from a political science perspective, I think it's important to think about this issue um, in terms of Yemen's place within the region and also Yemen's place within the world and how it's always been true in Yemen, and this is something that goes back centuries, that there are two-way dynamics uh, between the domestic concerns in Yemen and uh, foreign and, and regional concerns in Yemen. There were many political scientists for decades writing about this issue, um, particularly in Yemen, where a small state like Yemen, of great consequence and a strategic uh, position in the world, is surrounded by big powers, and you have a tendency of the big powers uh, trying to uh, apply pressure and uh, place their demands on Yemenis, but also Yemeni politicians uh, inside the country uh, being very adept at being able to play uh, all sides uh, of a conflict uh, outside the country. And that was certainly true of uh, President Saleh. When he was in office um, uh, from really the late 1970s until the Arab Spring of, of 2011. 
of politics in the region and the world, Yemenis know that there is a complex web of relations between domestic and foreign actors in the country. In the 20th century, political factions in the country reflected international divisions and rivalries. This is clear. And politicians were adept at playing multiple sides of political issues in the region and beyond. As I said, that was Salo's great skill uh, as a politician for the many decades uh, that he was in power. And as a result, within Yemen, there's really a freewheeling nature to, to Yemeni politics that I don't think you find in many other countries of the Middle East. And, and as a political scientist, I have to say it's one of the reasons why Yemen is such a great country uh, as a scholar to be conducting uh, research there. The stereotype of North Yemen, historically, under the old Imam's rule, was that it was an isolated country, cut off from the world, like a hermit kingdom, perhaps Tibet in the Himalayas. But this was never actually true. The North South, uh, prior to the national independence struggle in the 1960s, the part city of Aden was under British rule. And after World War II, there was a period of time when Aden was the second busiest trade port in the world, behind New York City. That's not so long ago, Aden and South Yemen formed one of the centers of global trade. Recently, there was an excellent uh, book published on this topic by a French scholar, Laurent uh, Bonfoy, that I want to mention and encourage others if you haven't uh, seen this book, entitled Yemen and the World, published uh, just last year. I think it's uh, a book that is uh, highly worth reading. And obviously, as a professor, I'm in the habit of recommending books for folks to read, but I, I genuinely think that this book by Bonfoy is one of the best books out there at this time. Science, the political system in Yemen during the late 20th century was referred to as a system highly penetrated by foreign actors. This is in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. Meaning that politicians inside the country lacked real sovereign control over their own political and economic decision making. Because they tended to respond to external pressures and demands. The reason why this is important background to understand the likely resolution of the current war in Yemen and the prospects for peace is because prior to the onset of the political crisis in 2011, the Yemeni political system was highly penetrated by foreign actors. I would say Yemen was the model case of this issue in international politics. Again, of how there's a two-way dynamics between what's going on inside the country and what's going on outside the country. The book that I think Starr before is, is so good because it explains how this plays out in Yemeni history. And indeed, what's the significance of it today? to the onset of the political crisis 
crisis in 2011, the Yemeni political system was highly penetrated. The system went from responding to the Friends of Yemen group in 
political incentive for the warring parties to step away from the conflict until they know what the final settlement is likely to be. By the way, this is not uncommon in negotiations. I think that the U.S. and the U.K. with the help of the GCC states could change the present scenario on the ground if there was more talk about the long-term benefits in areas of the country, namely narrow, marginal, via economic partnerships, and ultimately, I want to suggest, discussions of membership within the GCC. This goes back decades that there have been discussions of Yemen joining the GCC. Certainly former President Saleh and members of his ruling GPC party sought membership in the GCC. The GCC states would engage in discussions, but for many reasons the regional organization resisted following through on the idea at a deeper, broader level. I want to suggest, and I'm going to end on this point, that in the current circumstances, where there's essentially a stalemate in the war, and the negative effects of imposing control over trade at Yemen ports while continuing to threaten military force by the GCC coalition, did not lead to the intended result of getting the Houthis to withdraw from al-Qaeda. It's important to consider how some positive effects of economic and political partnership with the GCC now in Maryland and Hegemont, and possibly soon in Adam and other parts of the South, as well as the North. I think there needs to be discussion about moving forward what's the end game where the Tahama, the, the region around Ties and others could be part of this settlement uh, in Yemen. In short, I believe that much more needs to be done to emphasize the positive effects seen in places like Merab and Hadramal, hopefully avoiding war conflict if things break down at a Hodeva, because I think we're at a moment where there is a genuine possibility of a peace settlement. And with that, I'll close. Thank you very much.
and for your work in Yemen. I'm sure I hope we'll take you back soon. <laughs> um, today I'm going to be doing something very non-traditional. I'm going to be speaking um, through an as an analyst. Um, because I think at the end of the day, the humanitarian crisis is truly affected by what's going on politically in Yemen. And they're both intertwined. Um, you know, Your Excellency, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, you know, I'm happy to be here with you all to discuss Yemen uh, because it's not only important to those within the nation, but also those who are outside of uh, the country, including the Yemeni-American diaspora as well. Specifically, Yemen is facing a very difficult time where over 20 million people are suffering due to the economic loss, due to the political uh, dilemma, due to lack of aid and necessary employment. And they're really surviving on nothing. Now, over the course of 2011, during times of change in the Arab world, Yemen proved to not only go through fluid political and social challenges, but they really proved to show a sense of unity in regards to how they should move forward. And that, forward, that process was actually the National Dialogue Conference, which was key to how we see the new Yemen. However, unfortunately, that fell short uh, due to a coup that took place against the people of Yemen, its national institutions, and government. At the end of the day, the Yemenis felt that this was a derailing 
process where the hopes and aspirations of the Arab Spring were shattered. And how they felt was merely that everything fell apart in front of their eyes. All their sacrifices, all their dignity has become shattered. And Yemenis were not only dealing with the civil war, actually. They were also stuck between the war and the false narrative as dictated by the international community, the Western media, and also experts that discuss Yemen through a regional and security lens. This misconception is not only manipulating, but also lacks deep analysis of what is actually the Yemeni conflict. For the last four years, um, this conflict has been seen through the lens of Saudi Arabia, which is a misconception of its own. The current crisis in itself is purely local, and I want to emphasize on this, it's purely local. And it must be viewed this way. There are hundreds of violations taking place by out-of-state militia on Yemenis, women, and children alike. Yet we find the international community silent. This is because, unfortunately, Yemen is being exploited for the interests of others. And a focus solely on Saudi Arabia will not necessarily help Yemen, but merely help satisfy the agendas of other nations, including Iran. You know, I, uh, I, I, for four years I'm still trying to understand this concept. The international community takes flawed arguments into account and in return creates flawed uh, interventions which they presume to be solutions of peace. Your Excellencies, um, ladies and gentlemen, and friends of Yemen, of course, our narrative is very clear and concise. This is not a war that was done by the United States, uh, nor the Saudi Arabia and Red Coalition. This was unfortunately an internal issue that was cooked by a militia which its members, its total members, decided to pursue an ideological agenda against the average Yemeni citizen and the country's national institutions. Groups should not be excusable based on the century-long mindset that those who took over Sana'a and other provinces have been oppressed. This is an argument that has been flawed. This is an argument that is incorrect. And this is an ideological understanding of divine rights that should not be uh, taken seriously. As with the international community, specifically Western nations, they continue the failures in addressing the core problems of Yemen, lacking the solutions, and also not holding wrongdoers accountable. That same failure and soft tone is also seen within the humanitarian sector, where even when diplomacy is presumed to be the best way to handle certain situations, sometimes actually prolongs the problem, because we're being soft around what is right versus what is wrong. And the fact of the matter is that we're still not holding those on the ground accountable. The humanitarian sector actually suffers tremendously due to the inactions of world leaders and the weak peace process. And in return, humanitarian aid workers get kidnapped and killed in the line of duty for humanity. IMGOs become more challenged to do the aid work that they're supposed to actually do 
and the only victims of this tragedy are the innocent civilians who bear the bitter realities of this conflict. I want to make clear, you know, especially since I was born and raised here, that a nation really cannot be built nor stabilized when we are, as Americans or uh, society, ignoring the root crisis of this civil war. This is a disaster, to be honest with you, and if it is not solved correctly, will over time become a more complicated situation than what it is now. And let's say even if miraculously, an agreement was signed and implemented, and I use this word very um, uh, cautiously, implementation has been a problem in Yemen. Um, it will be a temporary fix to a very large problem, and it will become a destructive political and humanitarian crisis increasingly, and it will put uh, around 28 million people in further uh, risk of plunging Yemen into famine. And I, and I, I say, when I talk about our having an agreement and implementation, historically I've seen, this is my view, that the international community tends to speed up things, that they just want somebody to sign and move on and get things done. But this is not about cameras, and this is not about an achievement to send back to your supervisor. It's not. It's a nation, there are souls, there are people, there are children, there are futures ahead. And every day, actually, the people are not in favor of the international community, but in question of their intentions. Pressure has been minimal. Goals and potential agreements are vague. And four years on, actually, debates continue uh, on this question is, what is, what is the perspective of Yemen's civil war? But to accomplish peace in Yemen, we cannot redefine the rules of perpetrators, nor can we nor can the end itself be disputed. The suffering of Yemenis will not cease until life is restored. Sustainable peace has been implemented. National institutions are respected and law is abided. Most importantly, stability starts actually with the resolution such as UN 2216 and implementing the national dialogue outcomes. Utmost priority starts with opening humanitarian corridors to help elevate the suffering of people of Yemen on the ground, such as in Taiz, which His Excellency had mentioned. And also, I'm going to add Hadoo, which is a northern province of, um, of, uh, in the northern side of Yemen. The mechanisms that have been addressed in Yemen, even in the humanitarian section, has been flawed. The current sector's emergency appeal, emergency appeal, emergency appeal. And this is a flawed idea of what humanitarian aid should look like. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was in Geneva attending the Humanitarian Pledging Conference. And it's great, you know, America, um, 24 million. I think they were last year, it was 100 million, so they dropped dramatically. Um, but we collected around 2.6 billion. And to me, I felt broken, to be honest, as a Yemeni. Uh, that I'm actually sitting in a, in a, at the United Nations where my dignity has been shattered because we are in a situation where nations have to help us. It's not the best feeling in the world. But I realized even last year when the amount was collected around the same time that since 2018 and now 2019's conference, the humanitarian crisis has worsened by 23%. Which basically means that 
the framework that we're building humanitarian projects in on the ground are not based or straight, um, strategized on longevity. It's a problem because that means we're feeding people for one month and we're merely helping them um, die the next. So my goal here is to talk about how both the humanitarian sector and also the international uh, community can work hand-to-hand to talk about both flaws because we're being effective on the ground. This is the political flaws. But also the importance of how agencies should look at Yemen, work on sustainable development. How that, as much as people say, you know, we should stop talking about politics or the flaws and misconceptions of war, is how sometimes we have to address it because at the end of the day, we are affected. So with that, I just wanted to end um, and just say one thing. This humanitarian crisis is not because we don't have anything inside the country. We do. Our resources are there. Our food is there. Our agriculture is there. It's amazing, amazing landscape we have. But this is driven based on economic failures. This is driven based on the, the deteriorating situation of economy in Yemen. And so I want to end with that and thank you. Thank you.
just uh, yes, uh, I know I'm, I'm honored to be here. I know I'm sitting here between uh, lunch and you on lunch, so I'll make that quick. I have two uh, comments, and I would like to second the uh, ambassador's uh, uh, call on the Al-Sarfa in Yemen. I think this is a model of the Houthis. This is uh, things that you don't hear much about it, but I think this is very much an uh, important issue to tackle in Yemen. This is about the, the five things, God's great, death to uh, Israel, death to America, and the Jews, uh, victory for Islam. Um, uh, this, there's an obvious connection between Hezbollah and Iran and Yemen, besides the modification of missiles, modification of UAV, is this al-Sabha itself. And, and, and this al-Sabha is also transferable. Countries are using it, Iranians are using it, also al-Qaeda could use that. The same people are actually doing the Sarfa for Kofis, uh, tomorrow they're going to say it for, for, uh, for non-state actors like ISIS 2.0 or Al-Qaeda and Arabian Peninsula. I think this is important. Uh, being in Saudi for over four years as a defense attaché, I saw most, most of these Kofi fighters crossing borders and throwing in the sand, gone through UAE feeds, and I've been multiple times on the borders. And believe it or not, some of these guys were captured, young folks, 16, 17, 18, 19, they thought they were actually crossing borders to fight Americans, not to fight the Saudis. That's how, how strong is this uh, ideology. It's very much rooted in there. Point one. The point one is also the, uh, to second the ambassador talks about the, uh, the political roadmap. There was also a military roadmap in parallel with this uh, uh, roadmap. We talked about the GCC, the GCC initiatives, the National Dialogue, and the 2016 resolution. After the uh, after the Houthis took on uh, Sanaa, I think, I wrote that down in September 2014, that's when the Saudis, uh, before the Saudis were helping the, uh, the government military forces through funds and, and, and try to uh, empower them through uh, military assistance. And that wasn't going nowhere. The result of that was the last uh, Sanaa. So they turned to the United States that how can we help them? How can we help the, the military forces, the Yemen the government forces, we're actually regain Sana and do something. And that was uh, under the military of interior at that time. At that time. And the Saudis put a significant amount of money to basically let us um, purchase some major land items, to maybe some tactical lift and maybe some, uh, uh, some specific uh, uh, weapon systems. Um, and that time, uh, MOD wasn't even, was involved in the Saudi Ministry of Defense was, was part of this discussion of uh, how, do we, how do we do this military dimension. And it was uh, represented by a colonel at that time, Mohammed Jabber, who was actually now he's the, the, uh, the, uh, the ambassador. And he, I mean, he's not here, but he, uh, he, um, he really understood exactly what's going on in Yemen. Remember, he was also defense attaché in Yemen. He knew ins and outs of this country. And he used to say that all coming. So between, between uh, the last uh, of Sana and right before the March 15 when the Saudis decided to form a coalition, there was also a little discussion on what can we do for them if they decided to go. And that was, as you all know, it was going down to, to do intelligence and, and uh, logistics. And the logistics was basically earth-to-earth earth healing, which is a good capability, but it's not, it's, it's not a long way from from Southern Saudi Arabia to Yemen, back and forth. And with the F-15s, they can do that without a field. And UAE's use it the most. But there was a political dimension for the, from the coalition itself. It was, it was, uh, 
uh, got to have uh, American um, dimension in there, but basically uh, they have to understand to the level that I mean, they have a U.S. support. Like, uh, that's, uh, so, uh, so this whole part too was going all the way to the, to the very end. And, and the military, uh, you know, not saying the component to any other military, the coalition basically, the, the, initially the first 30 days, they did a great job. I mean, the idea of to stop the, stop the Houthi movement, Houthi was moving from Salah all the way to Aden. It was the same thing when we saw uh, ISIS in, in, um, in Iraq. They were actually moving, expanding, expanding, they were about to take Iraq, and we got freaked out. Well, Iraq is about to fall to ISIS. Well, we, we also form a coalition, right? Same kind of, same, same technique. We form a coalition, but our coalition is a coalition of 70 nations, the most powerful air force in the world, and try to fight ISIS. It took us a long time, and we're still fighting ISIS. We're not done yet. Same thing in Afghanistan. We're still fighting a Taliban, and then now we're not fighting them anymore. We're trying to just stand us for up and conquer them. So if you're, if you're, if, um, if you're, if you're waiting for a military solution in Yemen, it's not going to work. We've been saying that a long time, military solution is not going to work. And I think that all, the only military can do for us at this point is provide this time and space for, for our diplomats to, uh, to find a way, to find a way to, uh, to, uh, to make it work. And they've been trying that for the last three, four years. And I think, uh, it might be more, I can't tell you if it's near or far, but uh, if you keep looking at the military to, uh, to do something for you, and uh, that's not going to work. Thank you.
Missiles. I mean, why do you need a scud missiles in Yemen? 
as always, my, my, my veto some of these long-range ultra-strategic assets in the future of the uh, armed forces. So I think this time they might have a stake into ensuring that the, that the, that the Yemeni armed forces complement their strategic uh, uh, defense, uh, strategic posture for the whole peninsula. Um, I will end there. I'll just let, let somebody else well, thank you, Caldero. Uh, you brought out information and insight that previously hadn't been presented, and it's uh, very important. Uh, the OT's possession of good missiles uh, has indeed changed the entire formula uh, and the prospects uh, for a uh, civil end to the civil war. Response first to the question of uh, what would be the role of the Houthis in the future. Yeah, yeah, in the bank. Okay. And what will what will the Saudis let the the, the Houthis? You know, they would accept, accept them in the Yemen uh, as a member of the Yemeni government. Well, just recall the history. During the national dialogue, we offered the Houthis to be part of, 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 of uh, uh, the talks and the dialogue. And they were, I, I mentioned before, they were even overrepresented. Uh, 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 the GCC countries, uh, you know, welcomed that. And they were part, uh, uh, they supported us and they dealt with all the Yemeni components, including the Houthis. After the invention of the Houthis, and they were occupied uh, before and after, uh, you know, the Yemeni parties signed the DNDA, which claims the Houthis, uh, you know, uh, big role in, 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 the, in the political life uh, in, in, in Yemen. GCC, uh, GCC uh, you know, said in a statement supported the, the DNDA, and they never, uh, you know, uh, expressed any, any, any uh, veto on, 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 uh, on that. Uh, Again, before, the, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, during the talks, when uh, the talks started, Houthis, uh, they did directly with the Saudis and they showed some local uh, agreements, uh, you know, uh, and the Saudis never uh, refused that. So, uh, I cannot see, uh, you know, the Saudis or GC countries, uh, you know, will, will have veto on the future of Yemen, uh, you know, what the Yemenis will, will, will agree upon. Uh, I'm sure that you know our brothers in the GCC will support support that. But maybe um, that the enemies will not accept any ideological militia or militia, uh, you know, to rule the country. You know, that will be a Yemeni decision. Yemeni supporters are not welcome to join the political process uh, as a political party. Uh, and even during the national dialogue, we paid a lot of, of you know, attention and we did a lot of efforts to convert them to register as a political party. And this is uh, because they have the issue of uh, what will be the, the position, the role of, uh, of the Muslim country as a spiritual leader, as Wulamit al Fatih, as the Quran al
terms of resolution 2216. It's very clear about how we can restore the state and what will be the rules of all Yemeni uh, uh, parties. This is, this is the position of the Saudis, this is the position of the, you know, uh, our brother in uh, the UAE. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the one who's leading the, the coalition is Saudi Arabia. Kushan Tadi asked the help from the Saudi Arabia, but you know, uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, United uh, you know, Arab Emirates, Sudan, and no one is talking about uh, Sudan, while well, you know, our uh, uh, Sudan brothers are you know, uh, fighting with us at the, at the, at the ground. And they have significant, uh, you know, uh, uh, rule in, 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 uh, within the coalition. So, 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 uh, 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 I think uh, there the are no, uh, you know, uh, analysis, uh, objective is to restore uh, uh, the national government to Yemen, is to give the Yemenis the chance uh, uh, to, uh, to have the last uh, say, or to return back to the political process uh, where has been a uh, start, you know, directly uh, uh, after the, 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 the coup. We were close like this, you know, uh, when we stopped the, 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 the constitutional process. We were just, you know, few hours behind, you know, uh, the referendum. So, uh, uh, we announced uh, the fact that it didn't be, it was a new way to launch uh, 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 the public consultation. On the draft of constitution. And after a few months, we have started the process uh, of referendum and having, you know, uh, 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 you know, after that election, you know, uh, and all of us will be uh, uh, welcome to, uh, to join the, uh, uh, the process. Uh, uh, how uh, the Congress work will end the US, uh, uh, to end the USA? Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, The main thing is, you know, uh, uh, the rest union issue, you know, uh, and that even before, before uh, you know, uh, 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 this, this resolution of this, uh, this uh, uh, resolution number seven, uh, you know, the Saudis, they announced that they, you know, they will depend on themselves, you know, uh, so nothing significant, uh, you know, is, 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 is you know, uh, um, you know, military or intelligence uh, support. To the coalition. It's not political uh, uh, sign, you know, uh, and I don't see is, 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 is the most important thing. You know, how you, what's, what's the most signal sign uh, you are sending to the, to the rest of the world? Is it, is it proper this time uh, uh, to be part uh, or to really engage politically and, you know, and use all the means that, um, uh, that, that you have, you know, to have no leverage on the, on, the, on the process? So I think politically, it will send wrongness, but you know, logistically, it cannot see real impact in the group. Thank you. So I'm going to put three questions to you and then three to Dr. Day, and then I'd like Gold Ahok and Ambassador to come back on one or two of these. And if you could confine your answers to three minutes, whichever one that you choose to, to answer.
something that we don't play a part in whatsoever. Um, and so sometimes what INGOs do is that they actually partner with third-party uh, third, uh, NGOs on the ground to surpass and go around that committee. And that's what we're doing. Um, we're partnering with locals, which is a great thing, empowering locals anyways. But it's becoming um, difficult, very extreme. In terms of the water, the water infrastructure, I think every part of infrastructure in Yemen has been completely deteriorated. Um, water specifically has caused a big problem with diseases like cholera, um, where it's centuries old, it's solvable, we're just clean. Um, water, sanitation, proper sanitation. And so um, what I think is important here is the next step, rebuilding Yemen and restructuring Yemen, um, even in areas that are liberated. INGOs have not done their job in liberated areas. They're still minimal in, in, in their work there. So focus on rehabilitation in terms of its infrastructure, schools, hospitals. The health sector is so bad in Yemen, so bad. Half of the facilities in Yemen have closed down in terms of health facilities, which shows you that we are in a situation. Actually, I had a, I had a contact of mine in Sana'a, and she said, She's a doctor in Sanaa, and she said, I've had parents drop off their kids at hospitals because they say they cannot handle their responsibilities anymore in terms of finance. So imagine, I mean, to me, I'm just like, what in the world? You know, and that's how bad it is. And hospitals, yeah, hospitals in, in Sanaa are not even giving access to reporting on those because they think of it as a threat to what they're doing. Thank you. Dr. Day, um, and uh, serving to the end, uh, questions for uh, the ambassador, possibly uh, Ambassador Colonel Dahouk, and that is, how will the issue of South Yemen be resolved in order to end the conflict? And who will pay for the reconstruction of Yemen? Um, I can answer part of that, but the one about the South
individuals in the South. So I think there's reason to think that they are trying to play a role in Yemen's future by contacts with members of the Southern uh, Transition Council.
you know, the self uh, issue or self questions has been, you know, uh, addressed in the international dialogue. Uh, and it was the main uh, questions, you know, uh, during the international dialogue. Uh, and as a member ambassador to, uh, to the United States, I'm very glad for, uh, for the clear message uh, said uh, this morning by the American ambassador to Yemen about, you know, that the United States is supporting uh, unified uh, Yemen within the concept of uh, federal state. Uh, I think uh, I can see uh, that, you know, the South issues in there uh, can be resolved, can be addressed, can be discussed, you know, during uh, uh, the dialogue between the Yemenis uh, using peaceful means. Uh, we we, we, we uh, uh, addressed many of the regional and international uh, actors to deliver this message uh, to all the social movements. So, uh, with that, I, I, I can see uh, that Yemen uh, 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 federal states will resolve all these kinds of, of, of problems, including the South Asia. Thank you, sir. In uh, closing, a portrait to here uh, on the prospects for Yemen Thank <laughs> you. 